Is this a good deal? Is it not? Probably for them, they really, really want to get their hands dirty and get into the mix and create that own forced appreciation themselves. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Jeff Schechter and Jack Gibson. How you two doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you both on the show. And Jeff and Jack are the co-founders of High Return Real Estate. They also have a podcast, which is called the High Return Real Estate Show. And well, their business is Turnkey Investing. They have a turnkey investing company. And personally, they combined own over 80 turnkey properties that are producing monthly income. And that's what we're talking about today, based in Indianapolis, Indiana. So with that being said, you two want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So I'll start with that. I got started in business about 20 years ago. I started in a network marketing health and nutrition company and while I was going to college and always wanted to be an entrepreneur, built that business up. And about two or three years in, I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and a lot of the Kiyosaki books and got the vision for real estate. But unfortunately, didn't have any cash or any real desire to do it right then. So I put it on the back burner. And then about three years ago, my stocks dropped like a rock. And I said to myself, I'm not going to live the rest of my life on the whims and the ups and downs of the stock market. In one false swoop, I could get 50% of my equity wiped out. It's crazy. Yeah. So I started listening to podcasts just like this, Joe. 
every morning at the gym, hour at a time for 90 straight days. And I'd learned so much so fast that I just jumped in, started buying up, made some buying mistakes. And, but thankfully, I had the cash flow position for my other business to weather that storm and then stumbled upon a great turnkey company and started buying up in Indianapolis, got fantastic returns, and then learned enough to take on my own business. And that's when I brought Shecky in. He's a digital marketing master. He is very organized and has a completely different skill set than mine. So we've really, the last year and a half, formed a great partnership, friendship, and we just play back and forth and really work well. We know what our lane is and we try to stay in our own lane so that we Mm -hmm. have an effective operation. So Shecky, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks so much. Like Jack, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've done a whole bunch of different things. And as Jack mentioned, I'm pretty well entrenched in the digital marketing space. And Jack and I met because I was doing some consulting for him in another business. And we also have friendship. So he had found out that I had done some flipping back in the old days, you know, 05, 06, 07. And before that previous crash and was doing some things that obviously I would never do today, but pretty much got my ass handed to me back then and swore that I would never do real estate investing again, but it's in my blood. And after some great conversations with Jack and seeing some of the stuff that was going on in Indy, we just felt like, A, we wanted to dive in, but that we could also build a better mousetrap. So here we are. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, Jack, you mentioned you made some buying mistakes but you had some cash flow from your business at the time that allowed you to recover. What are some of those mistakes that you wouldn't make again? We talk about it on our show all the time. Probably the top two mistakes that most new investors make are paying too much for a property because they're anxious. They want to get into the game too quick. And that was me. I didn't do enough scouting out properties, analyzing deals, looking at what's really going on in the market. And then the other thing is I didn't factor in enough deferred maintenance. I bought an 11 unit property and took the property manager's word that they really didn't need much. Well, not much turned into $60,000 in unexpected. Yes, yes. We pretty much had to redo every single unit to mm-hmm. several, two to several thousand each. So it just taught me a lot about just pay trust but verify. Mm-hmm. So we've definitely learned to really put. CapEx into the equation. And the great thing about that property too, is that even though it was a buy mistake, it's turned out to be really good actually. And just had to weather the storm and, and fix everything up, get new property management in place. And now I mean, it's a very, very nice cash flowing property. So I think that if investors, my opinion is if they buy too thin, you know, not enough cash reserves, they can definitely get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And thankfully I had cash reserves, cash flow from the other business. So then I made a mistake. I could weather that storm and turn it around. And now I learned a lot and also happy I still have that property. Is there a formula that we can use to factor in cash reserves when analyzing a home? That's a great idea. I'm not that analytical, so I don't really have a formula. I don't know, Shaq, if you have one. Or an amount or something. I mean, how do you, if you're looking at a property, how do you think about how much cash reserves you should have for that particular property? Well, I think, you know, if the property's been recently been rehabbed and you've got all the major CapEx items are taking care of PEX plumbing and updated electrical and a new roof or roof's been put to where it can be put to the test where it can go for 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. I think we're fine with 5% of total rents as far as the maintenance. 
I think if you really want to be conservative, go with 10%. So it just depends on has the property been rehabbed recently and, and what all has been done to it as far as how conservative you want to be. So I think it's just that's obviously investor preference. I'm very comfortable with 5%. That's helpful. There you go. The other question I have on the follow-up is you mentioned the $60,000 deferred maintenance that you didn't think existed but did exist. How do you determine how much deferred maintenance there is now that you've learned that lesson, as we all have to some extent, and you're looking at a deal? What do you do? Well, we've got a really, really good head of rehab, Antonio, who goes in and scopes every single property before we buy or even before we consider putting an offer in. And he's a lot more talented than Shecky and I are in that department. So you want to put the right people on your team, put them in the right position to be successful and let them utilize their talents and their skills to make the whole team successful. So so our operation is a 100% team effort. And he goes in every single property. He's He's looking at everything possible Mm -hmm. that could go wrong. And then even then budgeting a few thousand extra in case he missed something that just couldn't see in the first initial go around. So we've got scopes where he'll come in and say, look, man, this is great. It's rent ready. It needs a thousand bucks. And then we'll buy properties where they need 30, 35,000 complete gut job. They need everything brand new and then everything in between. So we really rely on his expertise to be able to give us that correct, what are we looking at here for to bring this property to where it's going to be bulletproof for the next five, 10 years plus. Mm -hmm. Is your business model that you find property that you can add that value and then sell it and maybe put in a tenant and then sell it to an investor who's looking for a turnkey property? Sure. So we have two models, Joe. So the one which I much prefer, <laughs> it's a lot less stressful is what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Buy the property at a steep discount because nobody else wants to take it on. It's dilapidated and it needs a serious cash injection. So we'll scoop it up at a discount and then we'll send Antonio in and then he runs the mm-hmm. appropriate crews for that project. We've got crews that really are best for a big, big rehab gut job type project. And then we got crews that are better suited for a small thousand to 3000 tenant turnover. So he'll send the crews in, get the property to where it's rent ready. And then we turn it over to management, property management. They'll put a tenant in place and then we sell it. So right. That's what a lot of people on the forums consider turnkey. Right? Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot better because there's never an investor saying, okay, why is this delayed? Why is it not done yet? Yep. <laughs> right? yep. Just don't enjoy those texts, Joe. It's just yep. not, it's not something I want to see. Or why wasn't a tenant placed yesterday? There should be a tenant in by now. It's, I've owned this for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, we're vetting tenants. We're trying to get the right people in. We don't want to take on somebody that's going to, we're going to have to evict in three or four months. So we're trying to vet your tenants. You know, that whole process of explaining how to be patient. I just mm-hmm. don't really enjoy it. Yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't always work that way. In the perfect world, it would work that way, and that's all we would serve up. But the timing of when the investor is ready to buy and what projects we have available, it doesn't always match up where there's turnkey available. If you talk to us right now at this moment, we don't have anything turnkey ready to go. Mm-hmm. And we've got investors that are ready to buy. So we would offer them a discount depending on how long and how much they have to wait for their project to be done. 
and we're still doing all the same things that we would do to bring a project to turnkey rent ready or rented leased up status. They're just buying a lot earlier in the process and then we're still running the whole show. We're still doing everything. All we ask for them is patience. So we really make sure with those types of projects that the investor is patient. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. We need their yep. patience. We don't need them on top of us every week asking when it's going to be done. It's just not worth doing the deal. And then I need to charge in some kind of like extra tax, annoyance tax on top of their price to be Psych- able to make up for that. tax. <laughs> yes. I, actually, I'm going to counseling right now. <laughs> well, you basically have, you mentioned two ways, but really it's one business model just where it, in the process, does an investor come in and that is dependent on the inventory that you have available and the quickness that the investor wants to invest. Exactly. And so, there's a lot yeah. of clients that we have one in particular that he wants all of the pre-rehab type projects because he wants everything to be totally brand new. He wants those $30,000, dollars $30, rehab projects where we're replacing electrical, plumbing, roof, drywall, everything's being vetted and they're willing to wait because their money is, they got a lot of cash just sitting in the bank anyways, not making any money. Mm-hmm. So for them, they're more concerned with what's the deferred maintenance and the CapEx five or 10 years from now, we want everything brand new. Mm-hmm. And then I get another investor closing on three today and everything I serve up to him, if there's not a tenant in place with a lease that he can see and everything just perfect, you don't want it. So mm-hmm. It's just totally different perspectives and tastes from the investors, and we'll try to accommodate them based on where they're at. From an income stream standpoint for your company, and I've come up with three ways, but let me know if these aren't correct or if there are additional ones. One is the sale of the property to the investor from what you bought it for, plus rehab costs, and then what they buy it for, so whatever that difference is, that's one profit. Two would be the management of the property, which I doubt is much at all. And three is maybe construction fees for actually doing the rehab if they invest earlier on in the process. Did I summarize those correctly or anything you want to add or remove? Well, actually, our model is just one source. We make money on the sale. We pretty much run the construction at whatever cost that it is for us. I guess you could look at it as we're making money on the sale and then we're making part of the money on the construction or Mm -hmm. whatever, but it's not how I think of it. I get my quote from our crews and then I'm taking that number and just passing it on to the investor at cost. And then we're just trying to make an appropriate margin so we can keep our operation going and funded and Shecky can be happy and I'm happy and the whole team's happy. Mm -hmm. Management, we don't make any money on that either. We turn it over we have a couple, two or three different management companies that we utilize. Okay. So we did have an in-house model at one point, Joe, but we much prefer just to put the professionals in their lane and let them take over once everything's ready. And that's worked very, very well for our investors. Mm-hmm. So Shaky, I don't want to do all the talking yeah, about yeah, you. Go if ahead. you don't want to add anything to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that the biggest issue there and the big value add for the investors, obviously, is because of the economies of scale. Because we're running all that stuff at our own cost, and because we're doing so many projects at one time, even with our markup, it's extremely attractive to the investor to be able to buy a property at a very, very fair price. But the model is such that all along the way, like from the buy to the rehab to the management, everything is, we're focused on a lot of different numbers, but the main number that we're really 
focused on is how is this thing going to ROI for the investor? So no matter really what the final cost is there, it's really just can that investor plug into a situation where they can make high returns, hence the name of our company. Right. What's the ROI that you look for at minimum net to the investor? Nothing under 10%. You can chime in as well, Shaky. We're at a minimum. We want to live up to our name, high return real estate. So there are deals where we really don't make any money because we don't want to sell the property where the end investor is not making at least a double digit net return. And that model has been very successful for us. We've done very, very well. So it's really a volume model, Joe. We're really just trying to make sure that the end investor is served at all times, that they're getting a great ROI. And I have investors that are up to 20% net. That has happened and we do have them right now. Can I duplicate that all the time? No way. Those are definitely home runs. They maybe got a quad or something that has just really stayed with a very low vacancy. But we're trying to get to that 10 to 15% sweet spot, I think, is the 12 to 14% type cap rates. When you had your management company initially under your own roof, and then you decided to move it out to other companies that are doing it full-time and completely focused on it, what was an issue? Because clearly there was an issue that came up where you decided, ah, this just isn't our thing. We'd rather focus on what we've been focusing on, not on the management side. So what issue or issues came up? Great question. When I initially started buying in Indianapolis, the turnkey provider that I bought from was awesome. I was getting great returns and great service from him. And I started referring a lot of friends, family, colleagues, and I generated something like five to six million just off my network, sending people in as referrals. And that's when I decided, wow, there's like, I've got a business here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I asked him, can we make money together? Can I partner with you? So then we formed a partnership where I was marketing and he was doing all the acquisitions and the property management. So in a sense, it was an in-house system. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing it, but our company together was in-house. Well, then he started scaling up so much from other people that were marketing for him that the quality of the service and the communication just started deteriorating to a point where Shaki and I just said, look, this isn't serving our investors. This is too stressful for us. We got to take on our own operation and unfortunately kind of part ways. And I'm very loyal. So that was a very difficult situation for me. And Shecky had to coach me through it for a good couple months and definitely counseling was involved, mm-hmm. <laughs> paid and otherwise. Then when we started our own company together, that's when we vetted out several different property management companies in the area. And we feel very good and we monitor everything that they're doing. In fact, we have in our Buildium account, we can look at all of the properties that are under management that we've sold and we can see everything, what the rents are, what their expenses are. So if somebody gets into where they're not doing that well, then we can swoop in and figure out what do we need to do to make this work for them. So mm-hmm. check I know you needed to add something there. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because there seems to be a general consensus among people that look at turnkey operations and it's assumed that it would make good sense for the turnkey company to also own and run the property management company. But just to put an asterisk on what Jack said, what we found is that it's really too easy for mistakes. And I'm talking also about rehab mistakes too, to be easily hidden 
when the property management company is the same company. So even though that's kind of the mantra, like when you get into some of these real estate forums, it's like, we get that question so often, why aren't you guys running your own property management company? Because we found from experience that that formula actually did not serve us, nor did not serve our investors. The relationships that we have with the couple PM companies that we currently use, is, well, obviously we certainly insist on transparency and investors being able to log on to online portals, be able to see all the activity. But the other thing that we really use them for is to keep us honest. So when we get done rehabbing a property, we ask another party to come in and go, hey, look, we're saying it's rent ready, okay? But can we get another set of eyeballs on this that is representing going out and marketing to renters to say, yes, indeed, this is rent ready? And to be truthful, we found, obviously, there's a couple situations where we said, hey, this needs a little cleanup. There's a little final punches. I mean, they're typically no big deals. But it's really great to have this other company keep us honest, keeps us on our toes. And there's no question that the end investor is far better served by this kind of formula. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Which one of you primarily speaks to potential investors who has those conversations? Well, Shecky's on the ground in Indianapolis. So he's doing all of our investor tours when somebody wants to come to town and look at the properties and go in them and feel great about actually seeing our operation and meeting our team. So he's really good at the tours. For a while there, he had a pretty terrible streak. So we were joking around with Shecky. <laughs> he really needed to upgrade his skills, but that wasn't <laughs> it. He's awesome. Man. Yeah. He treats people so well when they come into town. I do a lot of the acquisitions as far as figuring out what we're buying and pricing and all of that. So typically, Nicole, she started off from an investor with me and now she's our investor liaison. So she has the first conversation with the investors to see, are they curious or are they serious? Yeah. <laughs> and then once she establishes that they are serious on moving forward, then the next step is usually to come to me so I can match them up with the appropriate acquisition and so on. So um, yeah, we both take okay. care of the investors in different so, ways. So then whoever wants to answer this question, answer it. What's the toughest question that a potential investor has prior to, well, obviously they're potential, so they haven't invested yet. What's a really tough question that they can ask your team? About that one, Shecky? Well, I can tell you the one that we get the most often is why do you not accept financing? Oh, yeah. And, there you go. Uh, yep. We sell all of our properties for cash. And we do that because we're in lower price properties. The point of entry is very, very low for our properties. We're typically in B and C class properties in a metropolitan area that's really, really great for investing. You can get a lot for fifty dollars or $60,000 in this town. And what we found is that just because of the volume that we're doing, when we wait around for appraisals that may or may not be consistent, it just really gums up the whole sales process. And when we first started out and we did accept financing, it's just like we would write up a lot of deals and there was a big percentage of them that never closed, not because they weren't real deals, but just because we were waiting too long to get answers back from their lender and dealing back and forth between what the true appraised value is, things like that. When you go cash, as you know, Joe, we can just move forward, close quickly, everybody wins. And when we look on our website, our properties are priced accordingly that it's assumed that it's going to close quickly and pay cash. So we've already put that good discount up front for those people just to make that transition very, very smooth. Just to add something to that, 
I was just on the forum where these people were kind of piping in and saying that there's a huge red flag if they won't accept financing. Look, I've done financing deals. I put together a $600,000 finance deal last year and it was miserable. Absolutely. I was miserable. I was stressed out. My wife was probably wanted to get a big D, you know, from <laughs> me. And I just said, you know what? I'm doing this partly for a serious business. Yes. Partly for fun. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. This is not enjoyable to work with these lenders and these banks and all the hoops that they make me jump through and the delays. And then the investor can back out pretty much at any time. It's just, I just don't like it. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty much preference. We want to deal with cash and I don't see how that's a red flag. We definitely try to set up investors for a cash out refinance on the back end. We've had a lot of them that have done that very successfully and gotten great appraisals on the back end. And we encourage them to do that. That's how I did mine and it worked great. I got all my cash back out because I was able to get really great appraisals. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. So, What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Wow. Go ahead, Shecky. Let me think for a second. Well, I'm a little biased, but I would say, again, as a qualifier, if you're a buy and hold investor, then find a good turnkey company to work with because we have people that come to town and they'll say like, I want to get a team together. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to do this. And it's like, but a good turnkey company like us, and yeah, I'll brag for a minute, but we've got all these processes in place. We work with all the wholesalers. We go to all the tax sales. We buy right. We know the town really well. We've got great crews. We have incredible economy of scales. And I'm not saying it to sound snotty, but we can pretty much do a better job than any individual investor can do on his or own accord. So that would be the best advice is if you're going to do buy and hold, then find a really, really good turnkey company that you can work with. The flip side of that point, though, and I'm sure you've heard this, is that as real estate investors, if we add value and not a turnkey company, then we're getting that equity versus paying the premium that a turnkey company typically charges. Therefore, it would be faster, assuming things go according to plan, to do a cash out refinance and continue to have that snowball approach. That's absolutely true. And there's valid argument for that, Joe. For those that really want to be active investors and they want to go out and go to the tax sales and sheriff sales and analyze a ton of properties to figure out what's going on. Is this a good deal? Is it not? Probably for them, they really, really want to get their hands dirty and get into the mix and create that own forced appreciation themselves. Sure. I think for the bulk of investors that are out there, they don't have the time and the skill set and the ability or pretty much probably the biggest thing, they just don't have the desire to go out and do all that heavy lifting to save potentially a few thousand dollars, of course, in equity, right? We know that, but they don't have it in them to be able to go out and do that. And that's, for me, I mean, I know that's an expensive lesson when you first start off. Those are the mistakes I made because Mm -hmm. I was that beginning investor that was trying to be active, but I really didn't have that much time when I first started very active with my other business and I didn't have the knowledge. I paid the price with the mistakes, 60,000 plus, and then some other properties as well that didn't go all that well. So got it. Shecky. And I think that argument's good depending on the market that you're in. So to give you a good example, like in Indy where prices are really reasonable. If somebody was going to go in and do their own rehab, maybe they save eight or 10 or 12 grand 
off of what they could buy the property from us for. I mean, I think that's a fair number in this market. If they say hypothetically bought a duplex from us that's cash flowing at over $1,000 a month, you're talking about eight or 10 months of rent. If they take eight or 10 months to do that rehab, it's kind of a wash. So I think that argument's really valid if you're in more expensive areas where there's opportunity to create a lot more forced appreciation. But along with that comes the greater risk in those more expensive markets. So I just think it depends on what your tolerance is for that kind of stuff. Yeah, good point. I appreciate you following up with that. All right, we got to do a lightning round. And in fact, it's not just any lightning round. It's the best ever lightning round. Are you two ready? I always want the best. Throw it yes. at us. Let's All go. Right, great. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? has to be Rich Dad Poor Dad. That got me started. Best ever deal you've done that's not the first one or your last one? Something in between. Oh, man. This is a lightning round. The pressure's on. I can't think of anything because there's nothing where I've made like a huge hit. I think everything's pretty consistent, Joe. I, I don't have one in mind. Do you, Checky, you Ch- got anything? <laughs> no? Okay. Just Just pick one deal and what are the numbers on one deal? How about that? There was an eight unit that I bought for, I think I was all in for 45000 Wow. And because I threw a lot of referrals at them, I think instead of taking a commission, I was probably my cost was like sixty, and ended up selling it for 100 You sold it for 100 Why didn't you keep that eight unit? You're all in for forty five. Why not just keep that, rent it out, and then do cash out refinance and hold on to it and put some financing on it? because it just wasn't leasing up. The property management company was off. I don't know what they were doing, but they were sleeping. Got tired of dealing with them. So I just said, here, sell it off. So they sold it off and I got a hundred and it was great. Yeah, the $55,000 is great. Best ever way you like to give back? You know, two top two things for me, our church, we tithe 10%. And ever since I started doing that, my income's tripled and everything's in my life has been just increased. And then we also support a CASA, which is a for disadvantaged children. I have a big heart for the kids. So we give a ton of money to that charity. And because of our involvement, they've been able to take on another 25 children into the program in the last year that are in really, really tough streets of Jackson, Michigan. So hmm. it feels awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's interesting that when you said you tied 10% and since then your income has tripled and it's not because you were wanting your income to triple as a result of giving back. That's just how the universe works. I fully agree. I think that was the biggest game changer for me in my entire life is when I started doing that four years ago, it was absolutely amazing what happened. Like the things that started happening were indescribable and Mm -hmm. 
yeah, you're right. I wasn't doing it to get something back. I was just doing it because I just wanted to put myself in the best possible position to be blessed, have good karma, all of those things, the universe looking out for me. And it's crazy. So I tell young people, I try to mentor young men in their 20s. I really want to try to teach them how to be leaders and how to live a, a really good life, maybe avoid some of the mistakes I made. And one of the big lessons I teach them is guys just start giving back now. Well, the income is small. It's a lot easier when you start making big money. It's going to be a lot harder to make that switch. So do it now. Look, start with 1%, 5% and then just start working that muscle. Just like going to the gym as you build that muscle up, it becomes easier and easier to do it and to do the increase and reach the full 10%. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you all? Well, Shecky, you're our digital marketer. <laughs> <laughs> So I think he's got an internet delay, so I'll take that one then. <laughs> well, that's an easy one. Just go to highreturnrealestate.com. <laughs> Great. That is highreturnrealestate.com, and that's also in the show notes page. Highreturnrealestate.com, just like it's spelled. Got it. And that's in the show notes page, so people can just click through and go check out your website. And you got a nice little video on the homepage. I was watching it before we started our conversation. So thank you, you two, for spending some time with myself and the best ever listeners and talking about your business model, as well as challenges along the way, both from a operations standpoint as owning a turnkey company, but then also on your own deals when you were getting started. As you mentioned, Jack, the top two mistakes, one, paying too much for property, and two, not factoring enough for deferred maintenance. And you gave that neat little 5% of total rents for total maintenance, assuming it's truly is a turnkey or maybe 10% to something that might have a couple issues with it just to be conservative as well as the giving back component. And I've seen it myself personally. And then also with people like you and others, you give and you give and the rising tide lifts all boats. And that's certainly how it works. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you two have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Best interview ever, Joe. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing. For investors, by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.